Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the ways we uh, uh, really begin to deliver this and, and share this is that we believe that we're living in the last days. Anybody believe that here? Now, we don't say that just flippantly, but we have to look at Scripture, and Scripture tells us that we are. And if you're a study of the Word of God, uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter said to us that in the last days, the Lord said, I'll pour out my Spirit on flesh, so we know that we are entering the last of the last days. So, a little different take on it tonight, so I appreciate your uh, interest in the last days, and every believer should be interested so if you have a pen and paper or you have your uh, phone or your iPad, I'd like for you to take just a few notes. It's going to give you just about three or four things tonight. But they're in depth. How many of you know the Word of God is deep? And it is uh, revelatory in our own life. So how should we approach the last days? How should we be living in the last days? And the Bible actually tells us. So Matthew 24 is when Jesus and the disciples are on the Mount of Olives, they're looking across the Kidron Valley, they're looking at the Temple Mount, they marvel at the massive uh, uh, temple that uh, Herod was allowing them to be a part of and build. The uh, Temple uh, Mount covers acres, it's not just a, uh, a city lot, it covers acres on top of that uh, uh, mount. And as they're speaking and dialoguing together, I want to pick it up in verse 3. Now, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. So the first thing that we should do according to Jesus, now listen, if Jesus said this is first, it should be first for us. We have to guard against deception. Every one of us must guard against deception. Now, I believe, now this is my personal belief, that we are being uh, bold, the frog in the kettle, and slowly we're entering into some things in our world, in our government, in our society, that's leading to the culmination of last day events. Do I believe they're all here now? No. Do I believe we're being set up for it? Yes. You know, there's a lot of controversy even today, even, you know, in our church and any church and around the world, just like uh, we have one issue that we could talk about, vaccinations. You know, they're anti-vaxxers, they're, they're people who get vaccination. You know, whether you do or you don't makes me no difference tonight, so I just want to let you know. Uh, do I believe that's the mark of the beast? No, I thought it was on your forehead and your hand, so uh, th that, that's just my, my belief. But... Could that be just another step for some kind of requirement in the future for an enforcement of something that possibly one day we will say, as we heard this morning, there's a point where we say no. Uh, I was sharing with Matt in the foyer today, and this is something kind of new to me. How many of you have ever heard of the giant? Has anyone heard of that? The giant. So we, we have technology today. It's coming to 21 different cities, and they have built a 10-story uh, giant that they can project anything they want to on this image and it is 10 stories high the head moves the the arms move and it speaks so we have the technology to bring any image of any person into a city 
that will be animated and that will speak to the people who come to the base of the, of the giant or the statue. And so when you read the book of Revelation said that his image, people will worship his image. Is that it? I don't have a clue. But I'm just telling you that today's technology, we are moving toward the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So we have to be on guard that we don't get deceived. It's the very first thing Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. He said, be careful that you don't have this deception uh, come upon you. Now, let's pick it up in verse 23. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there do not believe it, for false Christ, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For his lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So he's not going to be in the desert. He's not going to be in the inner chamber. The next time we see him, it's going to be where, boom, he's in the clouds and he's in the sky. That's where we're going to see him. Now, if someone else says he's coming any other way, how many of you know that's deception? Because he told us how he's going to come. Matter of fact, the two witnesses in Acts chapter 1, uh, when the disciples are watching Jesus ascend to heaven, these two witnesses, who are angels, said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus that you've seen go shall come again in like manner. That's how he's coming. He's not coming through the Sahara. He's not going to be in the inner chamber. I don't even know he's coming in the clouds. Now you and I know that because that's what the Bible says. But we have a world that does not believe the word of God, so therefore they're going to be easily deceived. Now it's not just the outward uh, in the world, but also it's within the church. So here is something you might just jot down. False prophets and teachers will rise from within the church, not just without the church, but within the church. Now, Peter warns about this. This is 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. But there, will also, or there, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, let me stop there before I read the rest of it. How many of you know in the Old Testament there were false prophets? And they had to deal with false prophets. There were penalties to false prophets. And he said, just as there were false prophets before you and in previous generations, he said, there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So we're living in a time today that there are false preachers, false teachers, and it's coinciding with Scripture, and it's also taking a number of Christians into a doctrine that is not sound. And we don't have to look in New York or California to find that. How many of you know we can just look around locally and we can begin to see that? So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, For the time will come... When people will not endure, put up with sound doctrine or teaching, instead to suit their own desires, their lust and their longings, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching or their ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, turn aside to myths, fiction, or fables. So today there are a lot of heresies, there's a lot of things being taught, not only in churches, it's coming out of Christian universities. Uh, where pastors are being trained, teachers are being uh, uh, trained, 
and they're not following the authenticity of Scripture. They're actually denying that Scripture is actually true. In Romans 1, we're warned that many will exchange the truth of God for a lie. Um, I had a son that uh, went to a Christian university, still have the son, but he did go to a Christian university. And uh, I want to tell you some of the things that they taught him at a Christian university, it, it's hard to unlearn. And here's one of the things they taught him at the Christian university. If you've ever read the first two chapters of Genesis, so you have the creation story, chapter two, it's a rehearsal of the creation story. So they're saying that one is pitted against the other, that, you know, do you believe the first one or the second one? Well, you believe both of them because one is, you know, giving the story, one is more detailed about the story. So one is not wrong, one is not right, they're both right. Can I hear an amen? So when you get people overthinking and you don't get the, the Word of God into some kind of cohesive nature, then what you do is you bring confusion. Let me tell you, I know who brings confusion. Because God is not the author of confusion. And so we know that this is actually happening today. Uh, has anyone ever heard of a Gallup poll? I mean, it's very prevalent, Gallup polls. How many of you know the, the election before last, the polls were absolutely horrible. And this is a poll about uh, the Word of God. 24% of Americans believe the Bible is the actual Word of God. It should be taken literally. Uh, this is somewhat below the 38 to 40% seen in the 70s. About half of Americans continued to say the Bible is the inspired Word of God, not to be taken literally, though. Uh, it means about 75% of Americans say that the Bible is somehow connected to God. Duh. About one in five Americans view the Bible in purely secular terms as ancient fables, legends, history, and precepts written by man, which is up 13% from 1976. So more people are seeing the Bible just as a story. Now, this is the, the numbers of Christians who were surveyed. And I think they're going to put this on the screen. So the, the actual Word of God, 30%, inspired 58%. So... About what 84% think the Word of God is, you know, factual, somewhat inspired, and 14% thinks it's just a fable. Now, these are Christians. How can you be a Christian and 14% and think that the Word of God is just fables? It's not reality, it's not real. And so, we're living in an age of, of great deception. And I'd like to say the numbers are getting better, but from the polls that I looked at, every year what's happening? They're getting worse and worse and worse and worse. The more people in America are not believing the Word of God. In other countries, they're just hungering for a Bible. Today, we don't even believe the Bibles we have. So we have to worry about that deception. So it's not just a deception that they don't believe the Word of God. Here's another one, and this is very prevalent today, a perversion of the grace of God. A perversion of the grace of God. It's deceptive. So first thing Jesus said we have to really put in our mind, our heart, and our spirit is the last days is going to be filled with what? Deception. Now here's a deception, a perversion of the grace of God. Everyone here, I believe, in this auditorium tonight believes in the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. You believe that, I believe that. But Paul also said in Romans chapter 6, I believe it is, this is from memory, he said, but if we continue in sin, he said, God forbid. So, so grace is not continuing in sin. Grace is receiving 
that unmerited favor from God and turning from our wicked ways. Now, will we mess up? Absolutely. Will we probably sin again? Pretty sure. Look at your neighbor. I'm getting more sure all the time. So are, are we going to have issues? Yeah, we're going to have some issues. But that is different than living in continual sin. So there's a lot of people believing that you can come and receive the grace of God and then just go out and live any way that you want to live. How many of you know that is not biblical? That is deceptive. It is perverting the grace of God, and we cannot pervert the grace of God. Um, this is Jude chapter, uh, the only one chapter, but verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed or unaware who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a different translation. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in, settled in, alongside, crept in unaware among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immor immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So is grace real? Yes. Is grace an answer for your sin that you do willfully over and over and over again? No, that's perverting the grace of God. Now, how does that work? Well, let's look at some of the words here that uh, Jude gives us. He uses the word lewdness here. Say that with me. Lewdness. Now, what does that mean? It's unbridled lust, it's excess, and shamelessness. The perversion of biblical grace leads to a disregard for restraints and boundaries. God gives us restraints and boundaries for our safety. How many of you believe that? Uh, if, I, if I'm going over a, you know, a river or a causeway, uh, I'm happy to have uh, rails on both sides. Uh, Carrie and I, most of you know, back in May, uh, it was during my birthday, we went to Santa Fe, New Mexico. So we were going to go trout fishing and go fly fishing. So we'd never been fly fishing before. So we hired a guide, and he said, we're going to go up into a ranch. He said, we're going to go up about 8,000, 8,500 feet, maybe 9,000 feet up in the mountains. Well, I want you to know, we, we started out on an interstate. Then we went on a highway. Then we went on a paved road. Then we went on a gravel road. Then we went on a dirt road. And then it was a trail. And, and we're switching back, up and back and forth through the mountains. And uh, I couldn't believe people even live up there, but they do. And so when I'd get over to the edge, Carrie'd say, hey, you're getting too close, you're getting too close, you're getting too close. Because she's looking out her window and you know it's just straight down. So how many of you know guardrails are good when you're about to go over the edge? So what the Word of God does for us, it gives us some guardrails for our life. And if you don't regard the guardrail, you may go over the edge. And when you pervert the grace of God, it's like you're going over the edge and you don't know it. Because it's there for your safety. So <clears throat> this, this word lewdness here is saying that you have no regard to the restraints of the boundaries in, in the Word of God. Now, this no regard has brought us uh, culturally where we are today in sexuality and marriage and commitments. 
Um, so it, it's, it's pushed the biblical standard somewhere the biblical standard shouldn't go. And it's very divisive. This is Jude 7 and 8. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. Now, Matt preached this morning on authority. So here we have a group of people who have no regard for the biblical grace of God. They have no regard for the boundaries. They, they have no regard for the side rails. They have no regard for the restraints. And they're pushing beyond that. And when you do, the Bible says they become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And how many of you remember that story? There's a reason they were destroyed. And so we don't want to get into that. So that's why... Jude mentions this judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Greek word here for sexual immorality that's found in that scripture, and, and I'm not trying to shock you, but the, the definition means to go whoring. It means fornication. It's a word that also encompasses, and if you look in the middle of that Greek word, is the word porno or pornography. And the words going after strange flesh, flesh is referring to people who are having sexual uh, relationships, uh, strange flesh would be uh, a man to a man or a woman to a woman. Now, you don't have to have uh, 10 seminary professors to understand that verse. Is everybody okay? I'm just telling you, this is what it says. And so when we go past the guardrails and we say, okay, grace covers that. Grace does cover that if you repent and you turn. But if you continue in your sin, Paul says, God forbid that you would do that, that's not authentic biblical grace. So, Pastor, why are you harping on this? That is the mark of the last days. How many would agree with me? We're living in the culture that this is speaking about today. So we're living in the last days. And this deception and these false teachers, false prophets, are dividing the church. We have families here tonight, right now, who's left churches, left denominations, because that church or that denomination begin to embrace a policy or a position that is not biblical. That's why some of you are here tonight. You could not follow in with that denomination. You could not follow in with that church because what the Bible says, that church embraced... And the Bible spoke something different. And so I've heard this over and over. We just couldn't stay there. Because they begin to do this. This was their policy. They begin to marry these people. They begin to say this sin's okay. And the Bible doesn't teach that. So it, it divides. And one of the ways it divides, I think it divides the wheat from the tares. <laughs> It divides in a good way, but it also divides in a bad way because you're going a different way. This is Jude verse 19. Well, let me back up just a little bit. Romans 1, it says, They exchanged the natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones, men committing shameful acts with other men. Now, this is Jude 19. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit, 
Here's a different translation. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Now this is what's happened. You know this. You've seen this. I've seen this. The denominations of the churches who've embraced this, who thought it would grow their church because they're embracing culture, it actually did right the opposite. It did absolutely right the opposite. So they thought we're going to be inclusive, and we should be inclusive, right? God loves everyone. God loves sinners. And I'm glad because <laughs> he loves me. <laughs> and he loves you. But he doesn't love the sin. And neither does he want us to continue in the sin. But God loves everybody. And, and people who are messed up, like me and you, and people who are involved in sin, we want them to be here. We want them to hear the word of God. We want them to find the grace of God and the love of God. But we don't want to continue in the sin. And here he says, it is very divisive. And if you follow the natural instincts, you do not have the spirit. And this is the thought. You either follow the flesh or you follow the spirit. And that's what you know, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He said, we walk in the spirit, we don't walk in the flesh. And so therefore, it becomes divisive and it, it begins to separate people. So there's a number of churches, a number of de denominations that have moved to pervert the grace of God and they're splitting over you know, same-sex marriage, the authenticity of the Word of God, the virgin birth, the crucifixion, deity of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a lot of areas that people are divided on today, right? And those areas, we have to look in the Word of God to say, okay, what is the truth here? What is the fallacy here? What does the Word say that is right? What does the Word say is wrong? And you and I have to lean toward, we have to follow what the Word of God says, and if we don't, then we've perverted what the Word of God says. We've, we've looked at it in a different way. That's not what the Word says. So the first thing he says, we have to guard against deception. So, uh, you know, false prophets, false teachers. And here's another element with Owen here, deceiving spirits. Deceiving spirits. Now, where does that come into play? Well, the Bible does address that. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, now when latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So they have no problem, their conscience doesn't even convince them or convict them anymore about what they're doing, and they are giving and the motivation here, notice the motivation here is by what? Doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits. Just as Eve was in the garden, and God had already spoken to Adam and Eve, and the enemy comes along, and he says, has God said, right? He knows what God said, but what's he doing? He's perverting it. He's twisting it. He's causing it to come out not as God said, but, you know, I think this is what God meant. No, God actually meant what he said. So we have to watch deceiving spirits. Now, the second thing we have to do. So the first one is what? We have to guard against deception. Okay, here's the second thing. We need to stay busy doing kingdom work. Stay busy doing kingdom work. As opposed to, and, and this is historic, and, and many of you have read about this. I've read about it. Sometimes I chuckle about it. So there's been many prophecies and prophets over, you know, centuries. Jesus is coming at this juncture. He's coming on this day. 
He's coming at this time. So let's all put on our white robes. Let's go up on the hillside. Let's go on the mountain. Let's sing a few songs, and we're waiting for Jesus. Has anyone ever heard that or read that? Oh, yeah, it's happened more than once. That is totally unbiblical. So let me read to you what's biblical. You ready? Luke 19. This is verses 11, 12, 13. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive a kingdom, receive himself a kingdom, and to return. He's talking about himself. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to what? I'm going to return. So he called his ten servants, delivered to them ten pounds or ten minus. He said to them, do business till I come. If you have a different translation, it says, occupy till I come, or engage in business till I come. So what should we be doing? Sitting on a mountain in a white robe, or what? Engaging in kingdom business until he comes. You know what last week was? Engaging in kingdom business till he comes. What are we doing tonight? We're engaging in kingdom business till he comes. What are we doing in the food bank? We're engaging in kingdom business till he comes. What are we doing in giving to missions? We're engaging in kingdom business till he comes. Why do we keep the doors open? Why are we still teaching and preaching? We're engaging in kingdom business till he comes. How long should we do that? Till he comes. We're thinking about building another building out here for a youth and children. We could have used it this week. What are we doing? We're engaging in business till he comes. When we built this campus, multi-million dollar campus, I had people say, well, what if the Lord comes after we get it built? I said, well, that'd be all right with me. I won't be here. You won't be here if you're a believer. This is what I said to him. I said, they can stack hay in it for what I care. <laughs> so what do we do? Well, the Lord's going to come soon, so let's not do anything. No, that's completely opposite of what Jesus said. He said, you're my servants. I'm going to go on a journey. I'm going to receive the kingdom. I'm going to come back to you. But while I'm gone, you engage in business. You occupy till I come. So what should we all be doing? Exactly what he said. This is Matthew 24, verse 44, 45, 46. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at a proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So when he comes back, what should he find us? He should find us doing, what should we be doing? We should be doing kingdom work. And so when Christ comes back, he should find us occupying till he comes, engaging in business till he comes. And here he says, I want to find you doing something when I come back. So I, I, how many of you want to be doing something when he comes back? I don't want to be twiddling my thumbs or saying, well, Lord, I was sitting on the mountain waiting for you. It, it, this is kind of reminiscent of the, uh, you know, the, the mountaintop experience with uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. Remember when he's transfigured and, you know, Moses appears and Elijah appears with Jesus on the mountain and, uh, you know, the Lord speaks, you know, this is my son and, and they see him in his glory. And then when it's over, you know, Peter always has to say something. 
even if it's wrong. So Peter said, boy, it was good for us to be here. He said, let us build, uh, you know, three different temples, you know, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Jesus said, no, let's get off the mountain and go do what we're supposed to be doing here. So, you know, we're not going to get on the mountain and all hold hands, sing kumbaya. We need to be busy doing the master's work. So we have to watch, number one, about deception. Number two, we have to stay busy doing kingdom work. Number three... Here's the third one. We continue to gather and encourage one another. We continue to gather and encourage one another. This is a verse most of you are very familiar with. This is Hebrews chapter 10, 24, 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about his coming, the day. Say that with me. The day, the day that he comes back. So until he comes back, what should we be doing? What we're doing tonight. We're gathering. We're, we're listening to the word. We're having fellowship. We're encouraging one another. And so this is something that we should be doing. Now, right the opposite is going to be happening to some people. The love of many is going to what? Wax cold. So as we should be gathering together, some people are what? They're being scattered and he said, well, you should be gathering. Because when times are tough, if you're anticipating something, then we need to be gathered together and using our gifts. Peter's going to talk about that in a minute. So what I want to do tonight to close this up is I want to take Peter's advice. So the next few verses I'm going to give is going to be Peter speaking to us. Now, I'm going to begin in 1 Peter 4. So if you want to disorient there, begin at verse number 7 through 10. Now, he begins this line by saying, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each of you have received a gift, minister it to one another as good servants of the manifold grace of God. The church is the body of Christ. So if you want to know what Christ is doing on this earth, look at the church, because the church is the body. Correct? We're members, but when we come together with the body of Christ. Now, now look at this line he gives us. He says, each one of us have received a gift. How many of you actually believe that tonight, that you've received a gift? Well, number one, you received the gift of salvation, because salvation's a gift. You've also received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a gift. But also you've received a spiritual gift. Because chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he, he gives us specifically that every spirit-filled believer has a spiritual gift. And what should you do with that spiritual gift? Well, according to Peter here, you should take that gift to minister to one another. Because I don't have what you have, you may not have what I have, but if we can get those gifts together, then we're all going to be encouraged because I'm encouraged by your gift, you may be encouraged by my gift, and maybe sometimes we're maybe trying to find our gift, that's okay if we're a new believer, but uh, many people have uh, multiple gifts, and every believer has a gift. And so you being here tonight is encouraging me, maybe by my standing here speaking to you, hopefully will encourage you 
uh, by people singing, people serving, uh, people working with children, uh, people playing music, people doing the media, the broadcast. How, how many believe that's helping somebody? And it's encouraging someone. And a lot of times we, we covet someone else's gift instead of really developing our own gift. Uh, you know, I would love to be able to sing and play and do a lot of things other people do. I can't. Uh, it sounds like a bunch of caterwauling, but uh, uh, hopefully I have another gift somewhere else. But I appreciate those gifts. You know, this morning, uh, when I heard the, the singing this morning, it really encouraged me. And um, when Leslie got up and sang that last song this morning, what a beautiful song. What a beautiful voice. What a beautiful gift. Now, if I got up and got the microphone to sing that song she sang, you know what you'd say? She's got the gift. You don't have the gift. Or if I went to the piano, you'd say, no, you don't have that gift. But the good thing is, you do have a gift. So what is he saying? As we see that day approaching, what day? The day of the Lord. So as we see that day approaching, what do we want to do? We want to gather, we want to encourage each other, because what's happening the closer we get to that day? The world is going hay haywire, and the world's getting crazier all the time. How many would agree with me? I had this conversation with someone the other day, and they were on the vaccination thing. And I said, listen, you know, if someone chooses not to, I'm good with that. If they choose to, I'm good with that too. But I said, here's the reason people don't trust it. Is because they don't trust the people who are in control in Washington. It's, it's, it's less about the vaccination than the people who are in control. How many would agree with me on that? It, it's less about the vaccination than the people who are in control. Because they say one thing, that's not true. Say the next thing, well, maybe that's not true either. So where does it go from here? What's the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing? So when we, when we get to those areas, then we're cautious, and we should be, because number one was, you got to guard against deception. And deception usually doesn't happen all at once, it's incremental. It's a little here, a little there, and a little there, and then they're leading you down a path, and boom, the trap shuts. And we live in an age today, listen very closely, we're living in an age today, the prophetic word that has described the things of the end times. Someone who's going to come along, and there's going to be a one world money system. That is possible today. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. Possible to see things around the world, much like the witnesses lying in Jerusalem and John says the entire world will see their bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen, that can happen today. We talked about the budding and the, and the leaves coming out of the fig tree, which is Israel. Listen, that's already happened. Today, Israel has come back as a nation, 1948. It's the only country after thousands of years has come back to their homeland and a native language that's almost been lost to come back because it was prophesied it would, that's already happened. When Zechariah says it's possible for a person to stand and, it's, and your body be consumed, your flesh be consumed, and you die before you hit the ground, that was not possible back then. 
How many of you know Zechariah couldn't even imagine that happening? How many of you know today that's possible? We, we have the weaponry. We have the technology. We have the banking system. We have the information system that all these things in biblical prophecy could happen today. It's just getting lined up for the leader to come along to implement these things in our world today. And the enemy's tried to do that over and over again. When you think about world conquesting empires, where you go back to Nebuchadnezzar, or you go back to the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, we've had an interlude here, but we've had little pockets to rise up. We've had a Hitler, you know, we, we, we've had this one and that one, this tribe, this world conquesting empire, and it just hasn't happened yet. But the Bible says there will be one that will pull that off. So we have to be careful that we're not deceived. We stick with the Word of God. We have to keep gathering ourselves together, encouraging one another as we see that day approaching. And then this is what Peter says. The end of all things is at hand. Be serious, watchful in your prayers. Above all, have fervent love one for another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, I've highlighted here the things he said. He said, number one, be serious and sober. Serious and sober. It means sound mind and self-control. Be watchful, alert. Have intense love for one another. Be hospitable without grumbling. Use the spiritual gifts and ministry to one another. So these are, the, these are the bullet points he said in these three or four verses here. Now I want to take the second one here. Be alert. When I watch the news, when I read different things about technology, when I read about things happening in our world, I try to fit those things in light of biblical prophecy and the Word of God. And you should too. Not that you make it something that it's not, but you and I should filter the things that we hear, we see, we read through biblical prophecy because the Word of God is our standard. And so when I take it through biblical prophecy and through the, the, through the Word itself, through the Bible, th then I can process it in the right way. Now this is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, 11, and 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now every one of these verses begins with what? In time. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Now that's why we, I, I took this night to take this amount of time just to share with you because Peter asked the question, in light of the last days, what kind of person should you be? In light of the last day, what kind of person should I be? Number one, I don't want to be one that's deceived. I want to be one that's careful about false teachers, false preachers, and false prophecy. I want to be one that is concerned about the, the doctrine of demons and devils, as Paul said. I want to be concerned about gathering together. I want to be concerned about these things, and I want to be watchful. The heavens will disappear. What kind of men, what kind of women should we be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Verse 14, so dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, what, the last days, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So there's the three things at the end, what? 
spotless, blameless, at peace with God. Now, when I look at the first two, spotless and blameless, I thought, goodness gracious, how could I ever be spotless and blameless? Have you, have you ever felt that way? How in the world could I ever be spotless and blameless? Because I can see my own faults and failures. How many of you can see yours? That's why if we go back and we don't pervert the grace of God, spotless and blameless is only possible through the grace of Jesus Christ and the mercy of God. The only way that I can be right before God is by the grace of God and the mercy of God. But the Bible says I'm justified. Now what does that mean? And this is a very simple explanation. You've heard it over and over again. It's just as if I never did it. You say, well, that's too simple. I don't think that's biblical. That's okay. You come out with your own. But tonight, let's use mine. If, if we say, uh, has anybody, don't hold your hands up, okay? We don't want to go there. If, if we, we said, has anybody here lied? Has anybody here ever cheated? Has anybody here ever been unfaithful? Has anybody here ever uh, cheated on your income tax? Has anybody here ever uh, uh, made somebody upset? Has anybody ever cut somebody off in traffic and the preacher behind you said something bad? <laughs> but, um, I, I mean, we could say a lot of things. So, all of us here could probably raise our hand. Just, we, we go on and on. We, we, we raise our hand and say, yeah, I probably did that. So there's nobody that gets a pass here because the Bible is very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There, there's no, no one righteous, no, not one. So how in the world can I be spotless and blameless? And it's because Jesus Christ took my sin to the cross he is sinless, but he took our sin to the cross. And the Bible says he took our sin and nailed it to the cross, that we could be justified with God. Now, what does it mean, justified? That we could stand before the Lord in judgment. And, and the kind of judgment I'm talking about, the judgment seat of Christ. I, I don't want to be at the great white throne of judgment. I'd rather already be okay by then, and you too. So, so how could we stand before the Lord and the Lord say, well done, good, faithful servant, come on in to uh, this that's all been prepared for you? The only reason that could ever happen is because I put my faith in Jesus. He died for my sins. The one who had no sin took my sin, died for my sin so that I could be spotless and blameless. I could be justified before God, so therefore I'm at peace with God. God. Does that make sense? So now I'm at peace with God. I mean, full knowing that I'm not perfect and, and I'm not spotless and I'm not blameless, but in Christ I am because He's covered me with His grace, with His blood. He's given me His name, and now I am in a position where I can look for His coming. Now, let's look at the flip side of this tonight because there's a lot of people who don't care to be spotless they don't care to be blameless and they're not even thinking about having peace with God because number one they don't even believe there is a God and then some of them let's go back to the deception thing they have been taught they have been preached at that at the end everybody's going to be saved kind of a universalist type doctrine 
It makes no difference if you go to church, you don't go to church. At the end, everybody's going to be saved because God is a God of love and he's not going to send anybody to hell. And the last part of that is true. He's not going to send anybody to hell, but you will choose it by rejecting him. Because it's not his will that any should perish. That's what the word says. And it even says that hell wasn't even created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels. And if you're going to follow him, that's where you end up. Heaven is our home, right? Because we have chosen the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, be spotless, blameless, at peace with God. And then the last two verses he says, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, wow, since you know this beforehand. So there's no one here tonight that can walk out of here to say, I didn't know Jesus was coming. Now you know. No one can leave tonight and say, I didn't know there was a judgment waiting. Now you know. No one can say, well, I, I don't think that, you know, I need Jesus to get to heaven. Now you know otherwise. The only way you're going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Peter says, friends, you have been forewarned. You have known this beforehand. So be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness or lawless wicked people and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know these people who wrote the Word of God in this time, especially Paul and Peter and John and Jude, they believed that Jesus was coming in their lifetime. I, I believe that. that. They were living like He was going to come back in their lifetime. Guess what? You and I should be living like He's going to come back in our lifetime. Really? I don't know because I don't know, as Peter says, I don't know the day nor the hour. But I know this, when I take my last breath, he's come for me. And you take your last breath, he's come for you. So just as the rapture was going to occur at our death, that's kind of our rapture, isn't it? I mean, that, that's when we go be with the Lord. So all these things are very, very important because I, I want you to think about this. He begins to say, you have been forewarned. And the preaching of the gospel in some way is that forewarning that you need Jesus, you need what happened at the cross, you need to believe that, you need to embrace that. So you've been forewarned, I've been forewarned. Uh, the reason we have church, the reason we have missions, the reason there's television broadcasts, radio broadcasts, the reason we, we go live on Facebook Live is what are we doing? We're forewarning people that this is going to happen, it's going to be in your future, it's going to be in my future. It's not to scare you, it's just to get ready. Uh, ladies, can I pick on you just for a minute? You would still love me. Okay, here's the deal. And men, if you agree with me, just smile. Don't say anything. Whenever we're going somewhere and, and we get there, let's say it's a restaurant or it could be church or it could be anywhere, and we're riding together. You, you know that we're going there, and we, we're going to arrive, and so when we park the car, it's time to open the door and get out. Oh, no. No. We've got to find our purse. We've got to put our lipstick on. We've got to fold the mirror down, fix our hair. 
uh, th there's several things we have to do. Okay, I feel very alone. Can any, can any men here identify with what I just said? Okay. So, so, so here's my deal. You knew we were going. You, you, you knew that we were about to get out of the car. Why couldn't you be preparing so that when we got there, we could have just opened the door and walked out? Because this is the awkward part for me. I don't have to fix my hair. I don't have to put my lipstick on. So now I'm standing outside the car and I'm just waiting. And waiting. And waiting. Okay. There's a point to this. Since you have been forewarned, you need to get ready when he comes, because as lightning comes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So there's a lot of people that think, well, I'm going to just wait till the very end and that last moment. I'm going to live what I want to live. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to, whatever I think I'm going to do, I'm going to do. And then at that last moment, I'll get, I'll get right with God. You don't know when the last moment is. You just don't know. So therefore, as Peter said, you have been forewarned that this is going to happen. And if anyone misses the coming of Jesus Christ, or, or if you miss heaven, then you cannot stand in judgment and say, I didn't know. And that's why Peter and different writers of the Bible said that I sent my prophets to you. I forewarned you, I, I sent my servants to you, and you just wouldn't listen. And Jesus even gives a parable about it. He says, I'm going to throw a feast, I'm going to throw a banquet, and I want you to go out, and I want you to invite everybody you see. And he says, well, I told them, but some aren't coming, there's still room, go to the highways and byways, let everyone know that they're invited, and then when it happened, some still didn't come, even some made excuses why they could not come, and then it was over. So the Lord's invited you to the best thing ever in your life. Number one, that's to have a relationship with Him, and secondly, to spend eternity with Him, and to have life and life eternal, because that is what He's offering. So number one, don't be deceived. You got to watch for those false teachers, false prophets. You got to watch that people don't pervert the grace of God into something that's not, right? Got to be careful about the doctrines of demons and devils. We got to keep doing the Lord's work, occupy until He comes. We need to keep gathering together as we see that day approaching. And Peter says, we have to say, we've been forewarned. So you get ready, be at peace with God, because when it happens, it's going to be very quickly. That's important. It's very, very important. And there's nobody here that doesn't know that Jesus is coming. And he's going to come soon. And we need to be ready. 
And let's gather as many people into the kingdom as we can before he comes. You know, many of you know this. I, I, I did it this morning. Um, I prayed for you this morning. Uh, I prayed for you to get out of bed this morning. I prayed for Matt and Mary and Callie and Tanner and all of the staff this morning. I prayed, prayed for our elders. I prayed for our deacons. I prayed for all of our teachers, our uh, people who sing. I, I prayed for uh, our musicians. I, I prayed for our ushers and our greeters and our workers. I prayed for everybody this morning. And I prayed that the Lord would let us have a harvest again and again and again and again. Why? Because it's important. Because the outcome and the significance is eternal. And it's a heaven or hell issue, isn't it? So we're not here, you know, screaming at people that, you know, you got to do this and this. No, it's an invitation, isn't it? It's a whosoever will let them come and be a part of the kingdom of God. And those who reject him, that's their choice. They'll, they'll suffer the consequence. But I tell you what, I believe that in the last days, we're going to see thousands and thousands of people come right here in our own community to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm believing that. I mean, I pray that. Um, you say, well, I just don't know if that will happen. Listen, if you were with us when we started, you can't believe that this has even happened. But listen, this is just the tip of the iceberg before Jesus comes back, I believe. I believe this is going to be a great revival of people getting right with God because God's so merciful and he's so great, right? Stand with me right now. I think we can do this right where you, uh, where you stand tonight, but I, I want us to pray. And if I've done anything, I just want to heighten your mind and your spirit about some of the things that could happen in the last days. And this is your response. So the things we talked about, this, this is your response to what happens and how you respond to it. Don't be deceived. Keep watching. Keep moving forward. Keep working. And let's stay together. And let's minister to one another. You may be here tonight, and you may be really discouraged and down. I'm here to tell you that it's going to be okay. You say, well, what do you mean it's going to be okay? Somehow, God's going to work it for your good. All things are not good, but God can work all things for your good. And somehow, I don't know how he does it, but he does. That's why he's God, right? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you tonight. We're asking you just to uh, envelop us in your Holy Spirit. God, we're praying tonight that you would just let the word and the verses and the concepts just really sink down in our hearts and our minds. God, let all these things that we have uh, we've discussed, the, the forewarning, the, the things that uh, we should begin to understand and the, the type of culture we live in and the world we live in. Lord, let it, let it not be something that's strange to us. Let, us. let us realize this is what it's going to be. And God, we're going to embrace it in the way that you told us to embrace it. We're going to look at it the way you told us to look at it. We're going to have our radar up. We're, we're going to have our antenna up of what's coming on this earth, what's happening in our culture. 
And God, we pray that none of us would ever be deceived. We would see truth. We would see the reality of where we are. We'd also see the reality of your coming. And you're going to come quickly. And Lord, we don't know when that is. But whenever it is, we want to be ready. So God, bless your people tonight. Let them take to heart your word. And God, let us go and do the work of the kingdom. And let us continue to do that until you come back. We ask it, we pray it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. God bless you. I love We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.